Hey there, welcome to the Echo Podcast, where we discuss how our hearts and minds can be an echo of God's heart and mind and what that even means in this world. We are Pastor Dan and Adrian from Shiloh Church of Jasper, Indiana. And in this week's podcast, we will be talking about um, the God of light. So Pastor Dan, in your sermon last week, uh, I thought we would start by pretty much where you started towards the beginning of the sermon. And um, in that time, you were talking about kind of where Shiloh has been in the past, kind of continued from the week before that. Mm-hmm. Um, talked about COVID a little bit and what that looked like. But we were talking, or you were talking about concepts. And so I thought it would be cool to chew on a concept that you talked about first. And you were talking about struggling and this is an ever-present struggle between being more committed to the flesh and to the self and being more obedient to the world versus being committed to God. Mm-hmm. And so your advice, which is always good advice, was stop trying to win the approval of the world. So I thought perhaps we could bring that in, um, kind of the nuts and bolts of it. Like, what does that look like daily? Because mm-hmm. that that's a hard ask, right? Because mm-hmm. we do live in the world, and yet we're supposed to be, what is it, in the world but not of the world, mm-hmm. right? Um, so you said you must declare yourself separate from the things of this world, and you said that the Ten Commandments set those standards for us. Mm-hmm. So there's your diving board. Nuts and bolts. Well, you know, my temptation, as always, is to start at 20,000 feet and work my way down. But you're challenging me to start at four or 5,000 feet. So I'm going to do the best I can. <laughs> um, I mentioned in the sermon uh, on those accounts that the uh, that one of the fundamental, like, social constructs or one you know in in modern history um there's always been this tension between the greek worldview and the judeo-christian worldview and the greek worldview you know doesn't get a lot of credit really because people don't recognize it it's like well you're talking about ancient people in ruins and and even roman culture which is basically modeled after greek culture uh, albeit with a sort of, uh, you know, a different spin, but essentially the same Mediterranean sort of humanist culture, right? And and so what you notice in, in, if you think about what you know about Greek culture and what you know about modern culture is, is that they have a tendency to value the things of the flesh in the literal sense of beauty, human beauty. They they celebrate, you know, slenderness. They celebrate uh, voluptuousness. They celebrate uh, youth. They, they celebrate, um, you know, things like the Olympic Games. You know, the, the, the original Olympic Games, they, they participated naked. And part of that was so that you could see their physique and you could see how their physique combines with their physical prowess, you know, and, and so it was all about the flesh, about the appearance of the flesh and, and, uh, old age was despised, you know, and, and people with, with, uh, 
older, less lean and more gray and saggy and and uh, wrinkly bodies, you know, were considered past their prime. And, you know, now doesn't that sound familiar? Because see, that's the Greek culture. That's that whole mindset that's built around, you know, we get the word Adonis or the name Adonis from Greek culture, because that's like the epitome of the most beautiful man, you know, and, and we've got Athena for the goddess of love. And, you know, and, and the interesting thing too, about Greek and Roman culture and Egyptian culture and a lot of these ancient cultures is that most of their, uh, uh, their worship or celebration of the flesh uh, also coincides with um, a relationship with false gods. You know, we have the whole pantheon of Greek gods. We have this whole sort of Roman pantheon of, of gods who are essentially the same ones with different names. And and you have, you know, the Egyptian gods, and they're all gods that celebrate some human factor, some, some factor of the flesh. Um, they're all, you know competing for supremacy in the flesh. And so they invent competitions and things that we still celebrate to this day. And, you know, like when you think about the Olympics today, we we are meant to think of it as an international competition that, pre, you know, that, that supersedes war and political strife and in favor of the spirit of competition in sports. Instead of competing on the battlefield, we compete on the sports field but we all know how that really goes you know nations cheat and and uh we we are you know winning people are winning competitions by one hundredths or one thousandths of a second and that means that they are being finely tuned in their flesh to win by that most minimal margin and so what are they they're people of the flesh just like they were when they're competing naked you know, 4,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago, you know. So so the point is, is the Greek culture, the Greek ideal, which is the first place that it was really, you know, kind of recorded and lauded extensively. And there are other cultures that coexisted at the time that have similar traits, many gods and a devotion to the flesh. And... Uh, and in the sense, they also have a disdain for the the aging of the flesh and and the diminished physical capability. But then there's Judaism, and this is a religion that is defined by the God who created all the other gods, all the other creation, the one true God who is the creator of everything that is, the one that is defined in scripture as I am or can also be called Yahweh, but we don't really know how to pronounce his name because we only have Y-H-W-H, you know, so we can only guess. But this is the God who is above all, everything. There is no one superior to that God. There is a superior God to the other gods, the false gods or the lesser gods or the fallen angels or whatever they are. And so even the most powerful of the fallen angels is not more powerful than the creator, God. And that would be Satan. And clearly God, the father in heaven is more superior. Adonai, the one and only God. 
So can I, I interrupt you for a second? Yeah, go ahead. Because you said the word Adonis earlier, and yeah. I thought, well, that sounds like Adonai. Is there a connection there that you know of? No, um, because Adonai is an ancient Hebrew word, and Adonis is an ancient Greek word. Oh, okay. Different languages, and, totally and different. And it's more of a proper name. You know, like most names are meant to describe, you know, names used to have meanings. You know, it's like, you know, I have named you, you know, Adonis because you're beautiful. And and so your name and 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 your perception are all kind of tied together. And, you know, my mother named me Daniel and she told me when I was really little that she um, called me Daniel because I was brave. Well, I don't know that she could have called me that before she knew me, but she told me at an early age that I was brave like Daniel in the lion's den. And, you know, it became a big part of my identity, this this being courageous and, and bold and 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 bold for God you know, like Daniel. So, you know, it's amazing the power that a parent can put into a person at an early age by giving them a quality that goes along with their name. So there's something to be said for that. Yeah. But that's why. So, yeah, they do sound alike, but they're not related. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so, you know, so basically I'm just trying to lay the groundwork for the fact that when we're talking about the worship of the flesh, worship of youth and vitality, uh, the sort of temporary nature, uh, like, like, you know, party today, die tomorrow, you know, this, this whole mindset of, of pleasure and, and making the most of the little time you have, not really to live, but the time you have to be young, you know, well, you and I have both been on college campuses. We've both been, uh, in our late teens and twenties. And we know full well that when you're at that point in your life, when you're young and beautiful or handsome and free and, 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 you know, it's like pleasure Island from, from uh, Pinocchio, you know, everybody's out there pleasuring in every way they can imagine to the point of being stupid. You know, how many times do we have to hear, you know, of some, child basically a, a teenager or, or young 20s you know dying from drunkenness or something like that you know i did a funeral several years ago for a 21 year old guy who got drunk and fell down a flight of stairs oh my. you know and all his friends were there and they were just shocked and couldn't understand how this happened well it happened because stupidity happened you know i mean so so this is this is what it means to embrace the Greek culture, whereas God, Adonai, the one and only God, Yahweh, I am the God of all creation, that God chose a certain group of people that he set aside as chosen and, and created for that purpose. And through them, he expresses himself to the world. And guess what? His culture that he creates through these people is a counterculture. It's completely opposed to the worldview of the Greeks and the Egyptians and the Romans and the Assyrians and, and the Babylonians. And, and it's completely opposed to the hedonistic, uh, you know, hedonism is a Greek word again, but it's, it's this whole idea of, of, you know, pleasure of the flesh and the celebration of the flesh and all these fleeting things. And, and, and you know, there's something wrong when you see um 
you know, a man or a woman who's in their 50s or 60s and, and they are clearly failing at trying to look like they're still 25. And it looks bad. It's embarrassing for them, whether they know it or not. They look foolish. And, and that's because you can't, you can't pull it off. Oh, there's a few who, because they have better resources and more money, can can make a better go of it. But for the vast majority of people, you cannot escape the ravages of old age. And some people can diminish it. But I just heard this morning on the Mo News podcast that uh, Gen Z is apparently really obsessed with aging. And they are buying products in far greater amounts than previous generations at that age uh, to try to mitigate the effects of old age. And basically, it's because they spend so much time seeing themselves on a screen as they're looking at Zoom meetings and, and, and they're looking at themselves on you know, TikTok and, and Facebook and Instagram and stuff. And so they're looking at pictures of themselves and they're going, oh my gosh, I'm getting wrinkles there. You know, it's like, you're 20. Yeah. It'll be okay. But what's happening, interestingly enough, is that these young people are actually damaging their skin with products that aren't made for skin that young. Oh. You know, so they're using anti-aging stuff that's made for older people's skin and it's actually doing their skin harm because it's not made for young skin, wow. you know. And and so you can you can look this up, you know, Google it, friends, and and you'll see this this story. But but it it goes back to that being obsessed with the flesh and appearances and things. And so I made the point in the sermon. I said, you know, now from the Judeo Christian point of view. Um, there are a few things more admirable and more respected than an old couple who walk amidst, you know, the society. And, and when people see them, they make room for them to walk by because seeing an old man with a long white beard and his uh, wife, you know, you're, you're seeing seniors, people that are, are wise and, and, you know, who have survived a lot and have, you know, contributed much to the world in their time and, and so they're viewed as people who have already contributed much and who have much to offer in the form of wisdom and experience and knowledge. And, and so the culture is completely reversed. It's okay to look down on a youth for being young and, and ignorant. And so do you say, you know, you look at a young person, you go, I see tremendous potential. And obviously you're very intelligent, but what you lack is experience. So align yourself with somebody who has experience and let's put our minds together and see what good we can do. And so it's a completely counter culture to the world, as I like to call it. And and I intentionally use it with a, with a small W just because it's it's like the world of the flesh is is not worthy of a capital letter. You know, it's like like. But the but the point is, is that that that's the juxtaposition right there. We have these two cultures that are at odds with each other. And what's really funny and, and terribly, oh, I, actually, it's not funny in the sense, it's, it's weird, it's funny, strange, but it's sad and even tragic because it just occurred to me that it's tragic because it's like people are opposed to Israel right now for defending itself against people who have savagely attacked them 
and going after the ones who did this to try to make sure that it never happens again. And people will argue that, you know, there's all these other mitigating factors. But at the end of the day, what I see is this age-old resistance to the Judeo-Christian culture, that people are just anti-Semitic without even knowing why. And what it is is because they are a counterculture. You know, um, we, you know we, we look at countercultures that we might understand better because we live in the Midwest. So we, we look at countercultures like the Amish and the Mennonites who are in our midst and they, you know, their men wear beards without mustaches and they wear clothes without buttons and they wear simple clothing and they, they wear bonnets on their heads and stuff like that. And we look at that counterculture and, you know, we think it's quaint. And yet it is a Christian form of the same sort of orthodoxy that you see among the Jews, where we respect the elders, where we honor those who have accomplished much and who have have you know truth to tell and and uh, we recognize the the value of the family as a complete unit instead of you know looking at a, a young independent young buck or you know uh, some person who's going to conquer the world you know I mean um I heard somebody say the other day, and I don't know what to make of this, but somebody said to me the other day after I preached, they said, well, you know, we like our pastors old and our doctors young. And I thought that was funny. I'm not sure what it was meant as a joke, but I thought, well, okay, you know, but here's the thing. And this bothers me a lot, Adrian. There are a lot of, of churches that are prospering right now in a sense. There are churches that are out there doing better than I think we are, at least in the sense of, you know, high attendance and high income, you know, that this church has been larger in the past. But it seems like these churches all have certain things in common. And here I am talking all the time about how important it is for us as a church to embrace and encourage young people to be a part of it. But what I'm not saying is that we, we, you know, we want to hear what you need and what you want, but we don't plan on changing who we are at our core to accommodate you. Rather, we're willing to change customs. We're willing to change uh, expectations. In other words, if it's about how we dress, we can work with that. If it's about whether we sit on pews or cushioned chairs, we can work with that. If it's about when we have services or the kind of music we sing,